impact must be foolproof, irresistible, all-powerful. Only by scoring the greatest victory of all time can I wipe out the humiliations of the past. The accursed Alliance for Peace is the greatest fighting team the world has ever known. Only one thing will be able to destroy them. An even greater team of super-powered foes. Yes, a veritable army of the most deadly villains alive. And by skillfully manipulating my high-frequency emotion charger, I can fan the flames of hatred in the heart of every evil menace in existence. I shall transform their peace day into their day of final destruction. Hello, greetings from Latveria. Yes. <laughs> Broadcasting underground, the resistance of Latveria. We bring you this episode of the Doomcast. Although, I feel like Doom would like this type of thing. I don't know why. I don't know that we'd have to do this underground. Yeah, I was going to say, would we actually be the resistance? <laughs> right. We're, we're, sort of, we're sort of praising him, although he may not care for the way we do it, but I, I don't, we've yet to say a bad thing about him. <laughs> I, I would like to think he would allow us to live. Well, we'll live long enough to do this episode, I think. Well, yeah, at the very least. Remains to be seen. If there's a sudden break in this episode when you're listening to this listening audience, it could be because Doom's police have broken in and escorted us away <laughs> to stand trial. <laughs> Uh, in Doom, at, at uh, Doom's Palace, that that could have happened by now. If you're listening to this uh, in the future, uh, I don't know. There's probably not a real resistance. Um, maybe there is. We're gonna find out. We're gonna find out a lot of things. I think on this podcast. Oh, of course. <laughs> but for those just joining us, this is the uh, the Doomcast, the premier Doomcast dedicated to Marvel's greatest supervillain, the one and only Doctor Doom. With you as always, Craig and Bill, Bill and Craig, however you like to do it. <laughs> Doesn't matter to me. No. And we're going to start today with issue 44, Fantastic, Fantastic Four, number 43, rather. Lo, there shall be an ending. And this is a little bit different in that this Doom really just has a cameo in this in this issue. Yes, he only appears on page 11, and that is it. However, it does directly set up our next issue we'll be talking about. So I figured, despite it only being a few panels, we may as well just bring it up because he also has a good insult in this as well. <laughs> right. I, I, I kind of skimmed this one to see where he was. And then I'm like, oh, he's only in this one little bit of it. So then I did go back and reread it. And I enjoyed it. Um, I, don't, I took some notes on it. I don't know if we, how much you want to cover the uh, non-Doom stuff. As we, as, we clear, as we call out constantly, we're very Doom-focused in this podcast. Yeah, you know, I, I've read this issue, but not since probably like I was a kid. Mm -hmm. um, so I just read the, the page with Doom just to make sure I was up for the podcast here. Uh, so I really couldn't talk about what happens in this issue specifically since it's been so long since I've actually read it. <laughs> well, I thought I'll let me I'll give some context to this just so we can touch on it real quickly. And we'll we'll be brief on the non-doom stuff, but the uh, the Fantastic Four have taken a beating. Uh, uh, They've apparently been fighting with the Frightful Four in issues before this. I don't know how much we need to go into the Frightful Four. Um the uh um the plot takes us through them trying to escape. Apparently, the the Frightful Four has the torch and the thing under some sort of mind control. So Reed Richards and Sue are trying to escape. Um, uh, the wizard is in charge of the Frightful Four. Um, the, the Reed and Sue get away. They're, they're, they have the thing with them now. The thing is like is under some sort of mind control. So he wants to fight with Reed and Sue, but he's sort of subdued. They're going to get him back to the Baxter building, see if they can figure this out. I, I made a couple of notes just to touch on what something we've touched on before, which is uh, Reed's demeanor towards Sue and also towards the thing, <laughs> which is, uh, so they, they Reed and Sue escape. They have the thing. They're able to subdue him. 
Uh, Reed's basically saying, well, I think I can fix him. I think I can get him back to the good side. It's a very risky kind of experiment. Um, if I screw it up, it could mean his death. But Reed is pretty willing to take this chance. He's like, well, look, this is what has to happen. <laughs> I am perfectly willing to, you know, do this thing that could end up killing you. Right. <laughs> and, and so uh, it turns out the torch is sort of faking it. Like he, he's making the frightful four think he's on their side, but he's not really. And I won't go too much into that, except Reed is working on trying to figure out what he's going to do with the thing. Sue is very worried about the torch. She's trying to get Reed to kind of speak on it. And basically Reed tells her like, honey, do you mind? I'm working here. And, uh, <laughs> and she says, Oh, of course, dear. I, I have no right to distract you. Um, <laughs> which he does. Now I will say this. He does for once kind of say, okay, sorry, dear, just bear with me a little longer. I am. I'm just trying to work. I don't, you know, whatever. Um, so different things are happening there, but let's, that kind of takes us to Doom's appearance here, which is uh, at the Latvian embassy in New York. Um, yes. Now, now would it, this has been, so after his last appearance, he was defeated or, you know, we'll, we'll call it a defeat. Um, <laughs> and so he's just been hiding out at the Latvian embassy in New York. Is this the case? Yes, and apparently from this last panel he's in, the Latvian embassy is within visual sighting of the Baxter building. So, I don't know, I guess Doom's just down the street or something. He just walked out the building and walked down the street. We've talked about how they won't arrest him or even try to arrest him because he has diplomatic immunity. Right. His servant tells him, uh, you know, Master, basically your, your hand should be healed within a couple of days. And uh, and there is a good insult here. Do you want to do you want to run this one? Yes, I'd love to. <laughs> so this doctor is uh, like bowing to Doom as he's leaving through the door. And if you remember, Doom had his hands injured by the thing because the thing was like just throttling Doom, and he was crushing his gauntlets. So apparently, Doom's hands got pretty messed up there. And so Doom is wearing this uh, this kind of variant of his normal armor, like it, it's his normal look except he doesn't have the armor on his arms or hands, and he's got a long-sleeve uh, variant of this tunic. So it almost looks like Doom sort of after hours, like if he's relaxing at home, <laughs> like he's missing a pipe or something. He's a smoking jacket. And so, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a smoking jacket variant. So uh, I'm surprised they haven't made an action figure of this yet, <laughs> since they make so many variants. But um, to Doom sitting at this, uh, apparently a golden desk, Maybe he bought it from Elvis or something. I love that. And uh, he's, he's just got his hands on the desk and, and the doctor's, you know, bowing on his way out. And he tells him that his hands are healing. And in another few days, he should have normal use of them. And so Doom yells at him, still another few days. Get out, you inadequate incompetent. <laughs> <laughs> and then he jumps up and he kicks over, a, I don't know, some sort of a table holding a candelabra on it. And he's... Yell, yelling how it's the thing's fault and you know he did this to me and he's all mad and he goes to a window which as i said it apparently looks out over the baxter building and um he declares he'll have his revenge uh, as soon as his hands are healed then he'll be able to operate his emotion changer ray and uh one that will be able to destroy his accursed enemies and um now why he would need his hand specifically to activate this ray. I don't know. Like, can he just get like uh, his, his pal Boris to do it for him? Like Boris, press the red button, then press the blue one. Now pull that lever. Excellent. We're done. I mean, right. And he has a robot with his ego, you know, maybe he right. just figures he's the only one. And he is a robot <laughs> and he is a robotics master. So like he could easily probably build any number of robots, not even a full robot, just, you know, uh, uh, something that has the capacity to press a button. You could have that little, that little bird that goes back and forth. <laughs> yeah, when I was a kid, I had the Armatron, which is just a robot arm that I could manipulate around. Right. Surely, Doom could whip up an Armatron and do that, or, or even, yeah, just use a Doombot. <laughs> right. I mean, it must be the emotional thing of being able to press those buttons. And he does. I noticed you called this out. He he does say that the thing is solely responsible. So. He's gone over the 
the last couple issues, he, he was mad at Reed Richards. Then he was mad at all the Fantastic Four. Then he was ready to blow up everybody. Now he's now he's pretty focused on the thing, which granted, uh, you know, I could see that he he, he did. I'm not going to say he lost the fight, but um, well, let's just let's just leave it at that. Well, the fight was his to lose. Yeah. <laughs> and I've noticed how Daredevil gets off easy in this because Doom does not blame him at all for his interference. No, he does not at all. He just it, like he totally forgot about him completely. He's like, it's only about the thing at this point, which is which could make for a great rematch coming up. But um, yes, you know, now, this is Doom's only appearance here in this issue. As I said, it's specifically to build up his appearance in the annual number three coming up, which it even has an editor's note in here saying that it's on sale now. So it must have come out the same month. So I guess this is just to let us know where Doom was because he hasn't been seen in the last three issues and uh, just to basically get him ready for his appearance in the annual. Yeah, after that, we go back to the fight with the Frightful Four and there were a couple of fun things I made note of. Uh, we didn't really talk about who they are, but the, they seem to be led by a guy named the Wizard. Um, the Wingless Wizard. Yes, he... <laughs> He he he's in charge of this. So one of the, another member of the group is the Sandman. Yes, and Spider-Man. So now they're going to attack the Baxter building. The Sandman wonders how this is going to work. The wizard has to basically remind the Sandman what his powers are because he's like, well, Sandman, check this out. You're going to turn yourself into sand and you're going to slip through the cracks <laughs> in the top of the building and then you'll turn yourself back into a solid form and let us in. He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> basically, like, I hadn't <laughs> thought of that. Um, <laughs> they also have a woman named Medusa. Yes. Who short circuits the alarm by whipping her hair like a Willow Smith thing. Um, and then she calls out that she that, you know, she's what she's done. And the wizard is quick to call out and says, basically, uh, yeah, except you should make everyone aware that I told you to do that. <laughs> so I'm really liking this wizard. I think we, you know, I, maybe there'll be another uh, spinoff issue where we talk about the wish, the wizard one day. But the wizard was cracking me up. I love the wizard. Um, the wizard to me has always been like a low rent Doctor Doom. Yeah, like he he's no comparison, <laughs> but he had a couple of good liners. And then, I mean, at one point he's, I mean, he's pretty genre savvy because the the torch is kind of faking that he's on their side. They don't know that, but. He, he, the wizard can make sure the torch is by his side when he's releasing the Frightful Four from some captivity. I won't go into that too much. But he, he's smart enough to realize that they could turn on him at any time. So, and then the, the thing comes back around. Uh, I thought this was funny. Reed basically says, you know, I can handle this whole group myself. And Sue is right next to him. And Sue says, well, you know, I'm here too. <laughs> you don't have to do this yourself. <laughs> I can help. Um, this, they basically, uh, there's another fight they get through. Reed's kind of stalling. He wants to, he's basically stalling so that the thing can regain strength and get at least a little bit in the fight, which is what happens. Um, yes. Medusa escapes. The torch kind of hesitates in going after her. He's not really sure why he hesitated, but Reed is basically just saying, oh, you hesitated because she was pretty, of course. And the torch is like, well, that's not it necessarily. I, I don't know that I would say that. And Reed just keeps on it. Like, <laughs> I, got, I got you. I understand. You let her go. She's an attractive woman. <laughs> to be fair, uh, the human torch is always showing a propensity for uh, noticing attractive women. So I think Reed is actually on the level here. Like, right. he's right. <laughs> and I and the last thing I wrote is is just we end with the thing kind of coming around the Fantastic Four of one, and uh, he, you know they this sets up the next issue where the thing's like oh right I uh, um, I think Reed says you gotta you know you gotta heal up you gotta be my best man with the wedding coming up and the thing says oh yeah of course I wouldn't miss it and and says something along the lines of um, you know I just hope that one day I can I can get married as well and I was just waiting for Reed to pipe up and say well you know. Unless the world needs you to be the thing, in which case you're going to have to sacrifice and just be the thing and not get married. <laughs> then you're screwed. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, he always has something like, oh, oh okay, you, you, you think you're going to be happy now? Well, you know, the world needs the thing. Uh, we, we can't, look, it's the, great, it's the greater good, buddy. <laughs> uh, poor Ben. <laughs> 
though Doom's not in that one much. And uh, but it does set up, like you said, Fantastic Four annual number three, the wedding of Sue and Reed, um, which is yes. just now there is so much happening in this. Uh, there's a there's a lot we can talk about. Um, yes, yeah, starting with the cover, there's a yes. few things that need to be discussed here. Yeah, let's start there. <laughs> okay, now this cover, uh, it's got everyone on it. Heroes, villains, it's just a big throwdown between everybody. So uh, this is definitely something that would have leapt out at you if you were a kid back in the 60s and you saw this on the stands. Um, now, when I say they put everybody on here, I, I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, for example, they have uh, the Submariner and the Hulk are on here. Uh, neither appear in the story. Uh, they have the Wasp on here, and she does not appear in the story. Although we did find out later on through different tellings that she was in fact there. She was one of the bridesmaids for Sue. Um, we see, let me see, um, we see uh, Kid Colt, who is one of their Western heroes. Uh, I don't know why he's on the cover, as <laughs> yes, right. he's in the Old West. Um, but hey, he's there. And uh, he does not appear in the issue. Um, again, you know, being in the 1870s or 80s, wherever he is. Uh, now, here's something interesting. Nick Fury appears on the cover twice. Uh, he appears... Uh, over the thing in the gray gargoyle in the background, uh, that is Nick Fury from World War II when he was a part of the Howling Commandos. Okay. And then Nick Fury also appears as an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, down in the bottom over the head of Doctor Doom. Um, I'm not sure why he's on the cover twice. <laughs> I mean, once seems sufficient. Uh, there's a couple of people like Loki appears on the cover. He's not in the issue. Um, but pretty much everyone else, uh, Medusa's on the cover. I don't think she's in the issue, if I remember correctly. But basically, I think Stan just told Jack, just draw everybody beating everyone up and have fun. And yeah. you definitely get that sense. I wonder about that as well, because I, looking at that, you'd call that out. And I'm like, yeah, there are some people that aren't in the issue. I wonder if maybe if they were planning on having them in at some point and maybe ran out of space or, you know, plans changed or something, but it's just, the, the cover is just great. And some of these covers, it's, you wonder like what this would be like in poster size or something like this. This is just, uh, um, the artwork and stuff is just terrific. Oh, and there's, I'd like to point out um, next to the wizard and over the Scarlet Witch, there's just some dude in a suit. <laughs> I don't know who that is. It's like, even as I look at his face, like he's just some dude who walked in like, huh, what's going on? <laughs> I don't know what that's about. <laughs> sort of in-joke from Jack or something. Yeah, maybe it's like his neighbor or something. He just put him on for fun. <laughs> now, is the title uh, The Wedding of Sue and Reed or is the title Bedlam at the Baxter Building? Well, you should always default with whatever the title is on the splash page. So Bedlam yeah. at the Baxter Building would be the title. And I love that splash page because Doom is holding up a paper that says, Today is the day, wedding bells for Reed and Sue. And they're just splashed out on the, on the headline uh, or on the main page, right in the headline. And to me, Doom looks like almost like he's making a face, like he's breaking the fourth wall or something. Like, like he turned to the camera... <laughs> It was just, you know, with a Mr. Roper look or something like that. Like the, the way they drew his face there is just great. And that's what I took away from that. Like he he picked up the paper, you know, he's in the Latvian embassy, just trying to enjoy his day. He's going to get a little news of the world, make his, you know, drinking a coffee. Right. He's having a coffee, fancy European coffee, perhaps. Um, picks up the paper. And what does he see? Just splashed all over the front page, the wedding of Sue and and, and Reed. And, you know, looks away to an imaginary camera. I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I just love the thought of Doom reading the newspaper, like just some mundane action like that. Right. <laughs> like, who delivers the paper to the Latvian embassy? <laughs> and was it all soggy when they got it? Like the kid who's delivering papers. I mean, you, you've had some background in paper delivery. There's people throwing it way out, way out on the lawn. It's all in the sprinkler. It's all soaking wet. And someone's got to bring it in and blow dry it. And 
<laughs> I can just imagine like Doom calling to complain, like the paper was on my roof again. <laughs> He's reading the editorials and some sort of Mitch album column. And yeah, because Doom is definitely the kind of guy who's going to write in to complain about stuff. Yeah, and you know, so... picks up the paper and, as usual, you know those ten thousand magazine inserts or uh, commercial inserts yes. that they put in the papers just fall out all over his throne room. <laughs> he's all mad you know yelling about that <laughs> but then he probably noticed like you know a coupon for somewhere like oh what is this <laughs> some sort of latverian some sort of latverian steakhouse that's uh, located down the street or something <laughs> doom finds himself pleased <laughs> yes. it's about time they open one of these in my neighborhood <laughs> I don't know what Latvian cuisine would be like. We should uh, we should have people write in and tell us what they think that's even like. I mean, it's European. Yeah, so, I would assume Eastern European. So whatever they eat over there, I guess. Uh, so somewhere in the in the in, in the uh, along the lines of German, Polish, um, right, Hungarian, perhaps a lot of goulash, a lot of uh, pierogi, chicken, chicken, perhaps, <laughs> yeah, borscht. That, that's pretty like big Russian and thinking move. I know. Yeah. And that's Hopefully. like Bavarian. Yes. I mean, does he have like a big beer stein? It's got to be one of those, I'd imagine. Right. Yeah. I mean, granted, this is all stereotypes that we're going by. So <laughs> <laughs> it must be 100% accurate. Right. <laughs> they probably just eat McDonald's like we do. <laughs> yeah. That's true. So we're, we're, uh, now, I, I might have missed this, but was he back in Latveria or was he still at the Latverian embassy? Well, this says in a fortified castle in Latveria. Okay. So he must have jumped the plane and went back home after we saw him in uh, issue 43. So, so uh, maybe this paper had been shipped into him or something. <laughs> I don't know. Or it was just big news in Latveria for some reason. Yeah, where they publish the newspapers in English. I don't know that Latvian has its own language. Um, Doom has never been written as having an accent, nor has anyone ever said he has an accent. So I'm assuming he's a native English speaker. Mm -hmm. um, or if he did have an accent, I just always pictured him sounding like Schwarzenegger with his Austrian accent. Yeah. Um, so... I, I don't know. I guess it's kind of open for interpretation. Yeah, and I think we'll, we've talked about doing an episode just on that. And I know we'll get into some different media uh, as we go. So that's going to be fun. But yeah, I, 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 I do have my actor I would choose for Doom, but he, he's English, you're American, so yeah. he wouldn't have an accent. Yeah, I mean, it stands to reason that he would have some sort of Eastern European accent. Um, and that, that'll be fun to talk about when we get there, because I, I've, I'm with you. I've I've always saw it sort of as a combination of maybe Schwarzenegger with, with a James Earl Jones, you know, voice modulator on top of it. Um, but that's just, you know, one interpretation that could go any number of ways. But I think the key is, is it's got to have somebody with a cool voice to lay down all these insults and great lines. And um, yeah, he, he does say here, this isn't really an insult, but he says uh, he figures the the only the greatest victory of all time can wipe away his past defeat and he tears up that newspaper just in a rage yes first thing he does he crumples up the newspaper and then he rips it up and he starts yelling about uh the quote you had just given turns around kicks open a door because you know doom is no use for doorknobs or anything yeah and apparently in this closet is where he has his uh emotion charger machine right which uh you know yeah, Doom would keep it in the closet. Why not? <laughs> and so he decides he's going to ruin the wedding day of Reed and Sue as a way of getting his revenge on the thing that he's angry with. So Doom's logic here is kind of spotty, but uh, at the end of the day, he just wants to like destroy the Fantastic Four ultimately. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, he's emotion is is working its way into this, which is never a good thing when you're trying to plot revenge. Um, He's going to use the emotion charger to compile a group of supervillains to do this. And and much like the last issue, then, this is sort of all we really see of Doom. This is another kind of cameo appearance. He kind of puts everything in motion. 
But from there, we're going to go to the actual wedding. And um, this is almost, I wrote this down. It's almost like a Royal Rumble because we just start seeing like hero and villains uh, one after another, right as we get to the wedding in succession. Like, okay, now we're going to, I think we get there and Tony Stark is the first one we see. Um, yes, we, we cut to the Baxter building and it's like a, an obvious celebrity wedding. Like the news is there, cops are there keeping people back, cars are pulling up, people getting out. Um, the wedding itself is happening at the Baxter building. There's, you know, throngs of people there to, you know, to uh, look at the celebrities and the superheroes there and everything. And you're right. Tony Stark is the first one who who is shown arriving. And, uh, you know, he's got on a suit and a top hat. The thing is a great comment. <laughs> the thing is at the door, like greeting people. And uh, he, he sees Tony, they shake hands and he says, uh, I thought they only wore them hats and cartoons or kids toss snowballs at rich geezers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. That was great. Tony just laughs it off and he's there with like some hot chick, you know, who uh, he always has from, you know, uh, some hot chick from his arm. And uh, so Tony shows up and then here's something that most people probably wouldn't have got is um, what's her name? Uh, I just totally blanked on her, her real name. Patsy Walker who uh, later becomes the superheroine Hellcat and she's the redhead in the next panel. Oh, okay. And she had her own comic book series, Millie, the model. And um, no, I'm sorry. She's Patsy Walker. Millie, the model was someone else. See, Marvel had put out non superhero comics at this time. And she had two of her own series. I believe it was. And they like ran into the hundreds of issues. So, I mean, she had been around since at least the fifties. So this is just her making a cameo appearance here. Her first in the Marvel universe proper. Okay. until she shows up in, um, amazing adventures with your hero, the beast from the X-Men. <laughs> she becomes a supporting character of his before she becomes Hellcat in the Avengers. Some interesting um, trivia. Yeah, I did see. I was wondering if that, because they made a point of putting another panel with some people in it, and I was wondering if there was some background. But apparently, there there was. And so yes. we've seen Stark. We've seen we've seen them. We we see some members of Shield with Nick Fury. Just one Nick Fury this time. Who this is the um, this is the David Hasselhoff Fury, <laughs> as opposed to the Samuel Jackson Fury. Yes, good call. David Hasselhoff did play Nick Fury uh, in the late 90s, I believe, mm -hmm. in uh, a movie I still have yet to see. They aired it once. I was working. I didn't get to see it. And uh, I figured I'll catch it on a rerun, and it's never been rerun. <laughs> <laughs> so one day, eventually, I'll, I'll get to see that, because I actually heard he did a good job with it. But one of these days, I guess. But was yeah. That, um, was, that the, uh, was that shown right after the Carlitos Way commercial that only aired that one time? <laughs> that would have been right around the same time. <laughs> For some reason, that, that whole block of programming went, we, we won't get into that just now. That'll be, a, that'll be an Easter egg for later on, but we'll come back to the mysterious one-time only Carlitos Way commercial and probably the one-time only uh, Hasselhoff Nick Fury uh, airing. It probably aired right before that, and somehow ne nothing that they showed that night ever aired again. <laughs> <laughs> the day that's lost to time. Um, I tell you that Carlitos Way commercial existed. <laughs> I believe you. We're, we're the only two people who have seen it. Maybe there's a third. If you're listening and you know what we're talking about already, please let us know. I, I suspect at least there's one listener who does. So, I suspect that most people listening have no clue what we're talking about, and rightfully so. <laughs> They should probably get used to that because that may happen from time to time on this podcast. Al Pacino, we know you're listening. We know that you know about this commercial that aired only one time. We know you're a fan. <laughs> so anyway, let's get back to the topic. Back, right back to our, so, um, so yeah, so they, the shield is there with Nick Fury. They subdue a, a would be attacker who, uh, who's going to attack, but, uh, and break up the wedding, but who's being controlled by the puppet master. 
Yes. Uh, the puppet master kind of sinks slinks away, um, and this is where we start seeing the effects of Doom's emotion. Was it emotion charger or emotion changer? Emotion charger. Charger, yes. Yeah. The puppet master he slinks away down an alley, and then the red ghost and his super apes like literally are right there as he runs past. Yeah. And it, it's determined that you know by the red ghost that they're going to attack the Fantastic Four. Um, after this foiled attempt by uh, this unnamed assailant by Nick Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D., the Thing runs into the Baxter building, figuring he should alert Reed like something was going on. He runs right into Professor Xavier, who was a guest there at the wedding. Now, they don't know publicly that Professor X is with the X-Men, so I'm assuming Xavier must have been invited like as a fellow scientist type by Reed. Um, because they wouldn't know he was, you know, the X-Men's, you know, head teacher or anything like that. Okay. So, um, while they're talking, there's like a big drill tank that comes up through the floor, which surprisingly doesn't like collapse the building or anything. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, it disgorges, uh, the, uh, mole man and a bunch of his moloids who immediately start attacking the thing. And the mole man tells them to, uh, you know, avoid the other one. He, he's just an invalid who cannot harm us. And Professor X is like, you know, yeah, right. So he mentally calls the X-Men who are there at, at the wedding. So the X-Men come into the fray, taking on the Mole Man and his Moloid minions. And say that 10 times fast. And uh, one time fast. so they go to town against them. Uh, Cyclops starts opening fire with his optic blasts. The Angel and uh, Beast and Cyclops and Marvel Girl, they all work together, knocking them back into the hole that their tank had made. Then Iceman makes like a big plug over the hole. And he says as the ice melts, it'll force them down. I'm not really sure in the physics of that because as the ice melts, it become water. But, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. So the thing takes that chance to run upstairs because he figures, okay, something big's going on. So I got to alert the others. And as he gets upstairs, he's accosted by the Red Ghost Super Apes. Um, there are the apes already attacking the Invisible Girl and Alicia Masters. Uh, Sue is in her wedding gown already, and she's keeping them at bay with her force field. Mr. Fantastic runs in. He joins the fray because uh, the thing had gotten surprised by the apes and was taken down. Um, the Red Ghost shows up. But the Human Torch also arrives, you know, because brought there by all the noise. Uh, so they start skirmishing. But then some doorway to another dimension opens. It sucks in the Red Ghost and his three super apes, and they disappear. They're all kind of like, you know, holy cow, what was that? And Doctor Strange is at the door. And yes. it turned out that was him. He had done that. He said and he owed the Fantastic Four one. So, uh, you know, Reed is shaking his hand, saying, thank you, we owe you one. He's like, nonsense, I'm glad I could help. Uh, You know, typical good guy stuff. And um, so then the Fantastic Four realize, like, okay, something's amiss here. Like, these random villains are attacking. Uh, We do get to see Doom as he's watching on his private TV, like what's being done at the Baxter building. And uh, he's realizing that it's working. So we get panels of Iron Man's enemy, the Mandarin. He shows up and he's like hiding behind the corner of some building. Um, The Black Knight, who is not the current day good guy Black Knight, member of the Avengers, and will soon be debuting in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is his uncle, who was uh, the Black Knight before him. He was a member of the Masters of Evil. He was an enemy of Giant Man and the Wasp. So he shows up. We see uh, Kang the Conqueror from the future shows up. For some reason, he's wearing an orange tunic instead of a green one. So maybe this is like Kang in his smoking jacket, like Doom last. <laughs> his lounging wear. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, Kang actually talked about this. He's one of the only people. Well, you know, I'll, I'll talk about it at the end. So it's not to spoil anything. Um, we get to see the awesome android shows up and punches over a light post and some guys like running away. Ah, you know, he doesn't know what's going on. Um, Thor's enemy, the gray gargoyle shows up. 
And then we see Thor himself flying by overhead. He sees a, a spacecraft. Uh, he gets shot out of the sky by the Super Scroll, a Fantastic Four enemy. So Thor takes on the Super Scroll. He, he destroys his craft. The Fantastic Four in the Baxter building see that, you know, there's this explosion in the air. Something's going down. So the torch goes to investigate. Uh, Sue, of course, is worried that the wedding will be spoiled. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's her big concern, I guess, at the moment. And um, so then the Fantastic Four send for their attorney, Matt Murdock, who, of course, we know is secretly Daredevil. And they ask him if he would inform the guests that uh, there's stuff going on. And so there will be a delay in, in events. He says uh, he will. But then he turns around to Foggy Nelson, his law partner, and Karen Page, their secretary. I don't know why she would be there. But he tells them, uh, like, in all the excitement, it's got him down. He has to sit down. Would they pass along the message So uh, to the guests? So they say yes. So he immediately changes the daredevil, heads out to the street. He runs across a truck full of Hydra agents who normally are fighting S.H.I.E.L.D. And they have a vortex bomb that they're bringing to the Baxter building. So Daredevil uh, interrupts their plans by attacking the truck kind of uh, Raiders Lost Ark style, kind of throws the guys off the truck and everything. And then he jumps into the truck since no one's driving, which then I would also have to point out, remember Daredevil is blind. So yeah. I'm not sure what he's planning on doing driving the truck. But uh, then we see over back by the Baxter building, um, Captain America, Quicksilver and Iron Man, you know, the Avengers come into play. And Cap finds himself attacked by Thor's enemy, the Cobra. And then, of course, right around the corner is Thor's enemy, the Executioner. And he's with the Enchantress. So Cap is now outnumbered three on one. But, you know, hey, he's Captain America. So uh, he keeps the Executioner busy after he takes out the Cobra. And then uh, Thor's enemy, Mr. Hyde, shows up and... He goes to join in the fray, but then Hawkeye shows up <laughs> and he temporarily takes out Mr. Hyde and the Enchantress is going to fight Hawkeye. But then Spider-Man shows up, which this has to be a last minute thing, because this picture of Spider-Man in this panel was not a Jack Kirby drawing. That's a Steve Ditko one. So either they just repurposed the Spider-Man or Jack Kirby traced it. But this is the only time we see Spider-Man in the issue. So I'm thinking this totally was a last minute deal to make sure Spider-Man got included. So, so he helps out Hawkeye and Cap. And then we just get this wholesale fight in the streets at, at this point going on with all these superheroes and villains. Yeah, we've, and, had, a lot um, of, we've had a lot of fight. You know, it's a hard thing. To, I mean, you want to talk a little bit about how hard this is as an artist, as such as you are to get across all this action in these very small panels. But we see this yes. throughout the issue. I mean, we have some bigger ones or whatnot, but um, that we don't lose any of what's going on. There were constant fight scenes in this very small amount of space. Uh, a lot of talent is necessary to pull this off. Um, oh, yes. It is actually yeah. difficult drawing small like that. It, it's much easier to draw this kind of stuff larger size. Trust me. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was going to say, just to get the artist's perspective on that, as as some of you may know, uh, now if you don't, you do. Uh, Bill is the artist uh, of this group. Um, my art skills are, uh, I don't want to say non-existent, but they're, they're, they're less so. They're less polished. <laughs> I did trace a good picture of Mick Jagger one time for Bill. That you might, Do you still have that? Uh, you know, I think I still do, actually. I know I saw it not too long ago. Yes, but notice I said traced. <laughs> <laughs> that was traced huh <laughs> yeah you did i you know you thought i drew all these years you thought i drew that tree hand well, no i um no you knew if it was traced it still needed some work <laughs> <laughs> that's a polite way of saying it uh for anyone who's seen this maybe we'll put that on the instagram page someday <laughs> well wanted, you're a writer not an yeah. artist so there's nothing wanted, wrong with that I wanted to call out a couple of things. One is that when Sue is a bit worried about the wedding, 
and the thing says, well, maybe you should have just eloped. And his girlfriend says, well, that was very uncalled for. Like, was eloping bad in these days? You know, I don't know. I, I noticed that, too. And I thought, well, in the case where they're publicly known superheroes, like, what would be the problem with eloping? It right. probably would be safer. Right. <laughs> so I, I, I know, like, watching some older TV shows and movies, usually when people would mention eloping someone would always be like all offended or like you know well i never you know kind of thing yeah so i think it used to be looked at like unfavorably it was it was not socially it was like unacceptable to you you were supposed to have a wedding with invitations and party favors and and things of those as things of that nature um right i think maybe eloping was thought of like only woman who got pregnant uh you know out of wedlock like they eloped or something like yes. that and this so, is just me guessing. I don't know. If there's any uh, wedding planners or perhaps uh, like those columnists like Miss Manners or something, if you guys want to chime in and let <laughs> us know what the problem was with eloping in the 60s. Miss um, Manners, we know you're listening. Yeah, she's a, she's a fan. If there's such a person, we, we might have just created a person. I'm not sure. Um, so and Murdoch uh, or they go to Murdoch and they want they, they basically are like, hey, uh, and I think. I wrote this down. He reads as this is a quote, as our lawyer, can you let everybody know there's going to be a delay, which seems like a job for the usher, not the lawyer. <laughs> right. Yeah. You think as an attorney, he'd just be sitting down in a nice seat having right. uh, a snack or something. <laughs> right. There's no legality involved in this. Like, it's not like, the, the, you know, people are going to be suing them for this or something. But um, unless they just figured coming from their attorney, it seems more official, like he had literally true. spoken with them, you know. Right. And then the last thing I want to note is is when Mr. Hyde is sort of lurking, he's about to attack, and then Hawkeye sort of foils him. And then Hawkeye himself is almost, I can't remember who it was, maybe the Enchantress or something, is going to drop a, a safe on him. Right. And, you know, talking about things that maybe were a thing back in the past and aren't now, like, were safes and pianos just always being hoisted up? In New York City, in New York City, like like first of all, nobody kept a piano or a safe on the ground floor in the past, and they only had to they were only stored on like the fortieth floors of skyscrapers and only hoist and only moved into those spots by somebody bringing them up by rope. Apparently, <laughs> you know, I didn't think about that, but that is a very good observation because yes, no one kept that stuff on a main floor. And it, granted, I could see hoisting up through a window versus taking it up however many flights of stairs. But I can also see just putting it in the service elevator and bringing it up there. I've, I've <laughs> seems never, like it'd be a lot easier. I've never lived in a big city, but I've spent time in, in you know, I've been in some big cities. I've, I've spent time there. Uh, I've been in, you know, London. I've been in Los Angeles, Detroit, Seattle. I've never seen a piano or a safe being being uh, raised up hoisted up by rope into a building in in this century maybe this was the 1900s thing well you can also say that you've never had a piano or a safe fall on you while you were in a big city this is true <laughs> it's kind of like anvils we thought anvils were going to be a bigger problem and you know when do you ever see an anvil <laughs> if i if if i die tragically tonight because an anvil or a piano or a safe falls on me <laughs> It, it might be fitting. And no offense, but I would have to laugh when I got that news. <laughs> I, w I would be disappointed if you didn't laugh. And it would be great if you even like open an umbrella as it was falling on you. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to look to an imaginary camera under an umbrella, not even a big, like, not even a big uh, expensive umbrella that, you know, you'd get at, uh, at the department store or something, just like a child's umbrella. <laughs> Dora the Explorers on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> SpongeBob SquarePants. You know what I thought was going to be a big deal when we were adults was quicksand. I yes. like as a kid seeing it in movies and stuff. I thought for right. sure, like I would have to spend my adult life always on the lookout for quicksand. Right. <laughs> I saw a comedy special not too long ago where a guy calls this out. He's like, I, I thought this was going to be a much bigger deal. <laughs> Yeah, because like someone is constantly falling in the quicksand. It happened to the Hulk on the uh, Lou Ferrigno show. 
Uh, it happened to, uh, I think it was Batman or Batgirl in the old Adam West show. It happened in like, I don't know, 1800 different movies <laughs> that I saw as a kid. I mean, I just thought like, oh, quicksands would be the death of me. Like, I just have to accept that. <laughs> and I feel like, you know, I don't know where you would find quicksand in real life, but I feel like it was always happening, you know, in a big city or something. Like the guy was just going down the street to, to go to 7-Eleven. There's pavement, there's sidewalk, there's driveways, there's cars. And for some reason, just quicksand, quicksand in the middle of everything. <laughs> well, you know, I've actually done some research into quicksand just out of curiosity. And it turns out like most quicksand is only about ankle deep. <laughs> <laughs> like you might find a deep pit where it might take you up to your knees, but hardly like anything like you've seen in movies. <laughs> right. <laughs> movies lied to us. <laughs> they lied. They lied to us. <laughs> so we get back to the thing here. Uh, I think where we left off, the Black Knight and the Angel were fighting. The Mandarin was about to get involved, and some of the other X Men show up to lend a hand. Um, yeah, one one thing I liked about this is Daredevil's still driving this Hydra truck with the Vortex bomb. Yes. Again, I don't know how he's driving it, but you know, whatever. And Angel is fighting the Black Knight up in the sky, and they show some people like in this one panel just walking along the street, minding their own business, like. This is all just normal stuff to them. <laughs> right. Just no need to pay much attention to this. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, there's a guy in a winged horse fighting a guy with angel wings. Yeah, you know, whatever. It's Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. Nah. Just turns it off. Yeah. Just, nah, whatever. Um, now, every, everybody's in the fight. And I think, uh, let's see, who do I have here? The Mad Thinker. The Mad Thinker and his android show up next. Uh, um, no. Uh, first, what happens is... Um, the X-Men okay, go to the save yeah. the Angel from the Mandarin's attack. And then the Mandarin joins forces with Electro, the Unicorn, the Melter, and the Beetle. They all gang up on Iceman. Then Cyclops shows up. He blasts them just as they go to shoot at him. And there's like this big, huge explosion. And that's when it's just like absolute chaos in the streets. Everyone, it's like the cover, like everyone's there fighting. And uh, then you call it, that's when the Mad Thinker and his awesome androids show up to fight Iron Man. Then we get Quicksilver and the Human Top, I think, are dueling. And then. Yeah, the Human Top was a giant man villain who later became known as Whirlwind. And then we get Atuma, the Warlord of the Deep, and his army starting to rise from the waters nearby. Um, but this, as you called out, Daredevil is still driving the Hydra car with the bomb in it. And this is when he yes. comes back, drives the car into the water, and the detonation sends Atuma and his guys back down. This is the equivalent, as we mentioned, this is sort of like a Royal Rumble, this issue, because there's just constantly new people coming in. This is the equivalent of somebody like running down to the ring, and someone just throws them right back over the top rope, and they're eliminated three seconds later. Yes, Exactly. You know, Is I didn't think of, of thinking of this as the Royal Rumble. That's a, a good uh, a good comparison, I think. Because it looks like it's going to be serious. The Tuma comes up. Uh, this would be the equivalent of the music hitting, the guy storming to the ring, and then someone like The Undertaker <laughs> just tossing them back out, and they just shamefaced <laughs> walk back to the, to the curtain. <laughs> they got to take that walk of shame back. Like, oh, my whole three seconds I lasted in the Rumble. <laughs> <laughs> But hey, also easy payday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, at least you want to be set some sort of record for like the quickest elimination or something. But yeah, Atuma doesn't bring anything to the fight. They doesn't. They don't really even him and his guys don't even really get to be in the fight. Um, yeah, it, it even says that the uh, the intention was that the emotion uh, charger was to go to the Submariner, but it wasn't able to reach him due to his story going on in Tales to Astonish 72, um, which I had checked that issue out, just curious, like, what was the Submariner doing? And he is, like, in way, way deep in the ocean on, in the middle of this big adventure. So apparently, like, this emotion charger, despite being able to reach into the future to bother King the Conqueror, who's in the 40th century, it cannot go uh, too deep into the water where the Submariner is. 
now is so it he, has its limitations. Well, is it, <laughs> so is it like Tuma intercepted it basically. Is it like the abyss where you couldn't get there without some sort of breathing that gelatin? Uh, well, if you were an air breather, yeah. I mean, for Namor, it wouldn't be a big thing. Well, maybe he wasn't invited. You know, there was that thing with him and Sue and Reed was jealous and Sue was basically looking to trade up, perhaps. I'm not sure. Maybe maybe Reed made a, a point to, to not put his invitation in the mail. Yeah, or like when they were mailing him out, Reed just accidentally lost that one, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and where do you send it anyway? Like, to the Submariner, care of Atlantis, you know, what mail's going out there? <laughs> exactly. What, what poor mail carrier had to take the, that, that chore or, you know, some sort of special UPS guy who had to do that delivery? Or does Namor just keep like a uh, P.O. box that he occasionally checks? <laughs> he's, the guy, he's the guy at the post office, the P.O. box that you're like, I wonder what that guy's up to. Who has a P.O. box? <laughs> Must be something shady. <laughs> Must be something shady. It's like it's like a Swiss bank account. Like, has anyone ever had one that wasn't shady? Good point. <laughs> so, or is uh, the Swiss call it a bank account? <laughs> yes. So the fight's continuing. Uh, there's there's just a lot happening. Reed Reed wishes that uh, he had the Hulk on their side. He's not sure if the Hulk would actually be on their side, but I think don't they call out too that the Hulk was also. Uh, yes it didn't reach him either right in the same issue of tales to astonish 72 that's currently a split book with the submariner and the hulk so i checked out the hulk story too and his story was that he was in the american southwest which is the hulk's normal stomping grounds and he was fighting against a contingent of the u.s army and while he was fighting he got teleported uh, to Italy by his enemy, the leader. So I'm assuming that because he was teleported, that was probably like when Doom threw the switch. And so the Hulk basically was no longer there. So that's how he kind of escaped the uh, emotion charger ray. Yeah, so he's, he's a no-show. He's one of the few people, uh, like we said, there's so many people in this, but he's a no-show. So the Watcher shows up. And the Watcher takes Reed away to the fourth dimension, which is called out here, and this is the quote, with a published photo of a journey through the fourth dimension. <laughs> yeah, they've been doing this lately, or at least Jack Kirby's been doing this lately. The uh, photo background, then with the characters drawn and laid over it. Mm -hmm. And it's done with more success nowadays because of Photoshop and filters and all that. Back then, I just I think it was not a good uh, it was not a good technique because the photos are black and white. The characters in the comic art, of course, is color, and they couldn't really merge them together good. So, I, I know what Kirby was trying to do. I know what he had in mind, and he could do it nowadays. But he was basically thinking about fifty years ahead of where he was. Yeah. <laughs> so. You know, kudos to him on the creativity and the idea and the thought behind it. But he was just limited by the tools that he had in the time. So the Watcher is sort of an omnipotent being. He takes Reed to a lab filled with all kinds of devices that look look scientific in nature. And he said, basically, the Watcher says, well, I can explain nothing. But if you can find something here that that you can use go right ahead. The Watcher keeps making a point of saying, like, all I can do is watch. I can't do anything. But he does help because he does put Reed in this room where he can pick something. Right. That's the watcher's thing. Like his race, they can watch and record events happening, but they're sworn to not interfere sort of like Starfleet with a prime directive. Mm -hmm. um, however, the watcher has on occasion indeed interfered, but he always will set things up to happen, but say, I can say nothing. You know, just like in here. Right. Um, but whatever happens, happens. You know, as he kind of nudge nudges you over towards what you would need to use to solve the, the situation. Exactly. So the Watcher has found himself being, uh, you know, pro-human, mm -hmm. even though he's not supposed to interfere. And he lives on the blue area of the moon. So he's 
reasonably nearby. And that's where he takes Reed to his, his bachelor pad on the moon. <laughs> and so uh, Reed finds this device. I don't want to call it a gun because it doesn't look like a gun, but it's, it's, jeez, ah, I don't know how to even describe it. It's just some piece of Kirby tech. Right. But somehow Reed with his advanced intellect, he knows like this is the device he'll need to save the day. And uh, so the watcher's like, well, I, I can't agree to that, but, uh, you know, uh, good, good going. He's kind of like that knight from um, uh, Indiana Jones and Last Crusade, like when the, the bad guy drinks in the wrong holy grail and he turns old and withers away and dies. Yeah. And he's like, he has chosen poorly. You know, the watcher's like doing that here with Reed. <laughs> right. So he can't really. You have chosen wisely. He can't really say, but he also can't basically, you know, he's saying. If one of these things were to help you, wink, wink, you know, and you figured that out, well, you know, I can't say anything about it, but, uh, you know, do what you do. I mean, but he's helping just by taking him away and putting him in this room where he has a chance. Um, and like you said, Reed, I read this down. I think he he figures out there's a subatronic time displacer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because of course he would just know that by this weird-looking device. He knew by looking <laughs> at it, and he's this is capable of sending living beings back to the immediate past with no memory of what's just happened. So Reed figures out like this is this thing, this is what it does, this is what I need, and really just hits the reset button. So now everything's undone, and no one knows uh, even Doom what's happened really. Right. He sends all the villains back to just before all this went down. Um, now, in the story Avengers Forever, um, King, when it, he goes over his origin, it's a 12-issue series. If memory serves, I think it was issue 8 was uh, King's origin. And he does retain memories of this issue, unlike everybody else. He, he says that for some reason he found himself like wanting to get revenge on the Fantastic Four, even if he didn't know what for. Because <laughs> at this point he was an Avengers villain. Sure. Um, so he went back in time and he remembers it being like a failed uh, uh, event. And then he went back to the 40th century and continued on from there. So apparently only maybe Mr. Fantastic and King remember the events of this yeah that's and everything else was just kind of wiped clean um the wedding's finally going to happen and they call out i had to, i looked this up because they call out that the wedding is going to take place uh to the tune of oh promise me and i thought is that you know maybe i missed it maybe that's just what they used to call the wedding march at one point but it's not it's some sort of old timey song uh, that maybe we'll put on the end credits or something, or uh, maybe someone wants to uh, do their version of it for us. Um, it seemed like an odd choice. Maybe that was like maybe that was the wedding song at Stan's wedding or or Jack's wedding or something, and they wanted to put that in as a as a nod to their respective wives. I'm not sure. Um, I, I didn't even think about that because uh, yeah, I just figured it was the the wedding march. I. I... Didn't even think about the name of it. It threw me a little bit. So, you know, Miss Manners, when you tell us about wedding etiquette in 1960, <laughs> let us know if this was the song that was used. Maybe Lionel Richie will cover it on his uh, on his next album. <laughs> I was just thinking about Lionel. He would probably know. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, you know, in that same panel you just mentioned, you see like uh, some of the X-Men and Avengers are in attendance, you know, in the uh, where the guests sit. Mm -hmm. And you see Professor Xavier standing alongside the X-Men. <laughs> little. Uh, so I'm not sure how that is. Like, was anyone giving Professor X like some side eye? Like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> How's this happening? This doesn't seem accurate. He's a Doombot. <laughs> or maybe Marvel Girl is using her telekinesis to like hold him up. I don't know. I noticed that uh, <laughs> Sue's wearing a full-on wedding dress, but Reed is still wearing his Fantastic Four suit. As is Johnny. Yeah, they uh, apparently didn't have time to change back into their tuxes. Yeah, well... But it's kind of like a, a military person getting married in their military 
dress, you know? I suppose you can make the case for that. I mean, I noticed Sue didn't do it. I mean, and I think Ben Grimm had a like a blue. Well, he doesn't really have a uniform. He had like a blue tux or something. But yeah, they didn't make any uh, exceptions. I feel like that was probably a point of argument. Like Sue was like, you know, for this one day, maybe you can wear a tux. And he's like, darling, look, I'll, I'll handle that. Don't just don't. Uh, <laughs> don't be concerned don't he be did concerned. start out in a tux yeah. you got to give that to him don't concern yourself with that so uh <laughs> but now they're married and two guys are trying to crash the wedding and get kicked out and it's a great cameo from uh stan and jack who we don't really see but we just sort of see them in profile right yeah they're trying to get in and uh um gabe jones and dum dum dugan from shield are working security at the door and so Nick Fury comes over like, you know, what's this hullabaloo about? And uh, it's Stan and Jack. They're trying to get in. They're insisting that they were invited and they, you know, you can't keep us out. And uh, they're like, yeah, don't bet on it, mister. So the agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. kick them out. And so the two of them are just walking down the street at the end. <laughs> and it's, it's a joke they reused in the um, second Fantastic Four movie when Reed and Sue get married. Ah. Because Stan does go to the wedding and, uh, you know, there's a guest list and he's like, I'm Stan Lee. And they're like, yeah, you're not on the list, pal. Get out of here. He's like, no, really, I should be on the list. I'm Stan Lee. And, and they're like, you know, yeah, yeah, get out of here, you weirdo. So like, they, they reused this joke for that. That was funny. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. I, my only beef with both of these issues is, is that uh, Dooms is really not. He's just a cameo in both of them. But there's some. I mean, I guess we'll go this route here and there where we will talk about some, some things, uh, some instances where he's not really present or he's not foremost, but everything is sort of put in motion by him. And uh, yes, yeah, that was really my only. He, he's the reason everything happens. Yes, it was my only really uh, beef with both issues. Is like, oh well, you know, we're doing this because we are big Doom fans. We want more of him. And he's only in uh, he's only in both as sort of a cameo, but um, yeah, but they were still really enjoyable. I I like the I like the uh, wizard in in the Fantastic Four number forty three, and the fact that we got so many people in this annual I thought was really fun. I thought the um, uh, the use of everybody was really good, and like I said, I I thought the artwork was really was really good in those instances where like we talked about where it's really hard to get across some of these action scenes sometimes in such a small space. Yes. Um, there is one thing I'd like to point out that I thought was kind of odd, but I know it had been addressed in later retellings and updates and whatnot. Um, among all the superheroes and villains fighting and everything, um, we didn't see a lot of the superheroines being represented with the exception of Marvel girl with the X-Men. She was like the only active combatant on the side of the heroes there, you know, like fighting against the villains and seeing doing stuff. Um, we did find out later that the wasp was one of the, the bridesmaids. And so she must've been in the Baxter building with Sue and Alicia masters. And then I, I know I read somewhere and I wish I could remember where it was, but the Scarlet Witch was also there. Like she's on the cover, but she wasn't seen in the issue proper, but she was basically held back in the Baxter building to be the last line of defense. So if any of the villains managed to get past the heroes out in the streets and they made it to the Baxter building, like she was going to be fighting with her back to the wall to put a stop to them. So, I mean, that would be a really cool story in itself, I think, to see, except as far as we know, no one broke the line. So I guess it was irrelevant. Yeah. But I mean, this stuff that we would see more nowadays, because this story is basically how many pages? It's 23 pages, which is more or less standard size at the time. Yeah. And there was two reprinted issues in here afterwards. Um, nowadays, an annual would just be more of like that extra length story. So had they more pages, I'm sure stuff like that would, would have been seen. But in this era in the sixties, it just seems like the, the, the woman always seems to get shortchanged. <laughs> Definitely from what we've seen. And you even had the enchantress there. Like she hung around for a while, like out in the streets, 
you know, trying to uh, cause trouble. So it's like if they were worried about like uh, a man fighting a woman or something, I mean, they had a woman villain there. So they could have had, you know, the Scarlet Witch, for example, out there as well or something. But, you know, eh, whatever. Right. <laughs> it was just something I thought was kind of weird. That's a good call out. Well, if anyone was disappointed that we didn't get too much Doom content into this episode, uh, I don't think that'll be the case next time. Because what are we gonna? What are we doing for our next episode? Yes. Now, next episode, uh, we are leaving the Fantastic Four for Doom's next appearance. Uh, he will be next seen in the Avengers issue number twenty-five. That will be uh, Doom's only second time seen away from the Fantastic Four. Um, the first time, of course, of the Amazing Spider-Man, which we covered, uh, feels like a hundred episodes ago. Right. <laughs> like a long time and, ago. Uh, yeah. And, uh, also I believe that issue is drawn by Don Heck. So that'll be only the third time Doom will be drawn by someone who's not Jack Kirby since Steve Ditko drew him in Spider-Man. And then not only are we covering that issue, but... We will be watching uh, the Marvel Superheroes cartoon in an episode of the Submariner called Dr. Doomsday. That will be Doom's first ever appearance outside of comics. And uh, that is based loosely, very, very loosely, on this issue in Annual 3 that we just covered, as well as uh, something else, and I forget um which issue it was off the top of my head oh the issue where doom um brought the baxter building out in the space okay but both of those issues are combined into this one episode and turn into a submariner story so it's uh it should be an interesting thing to watch and talk about yes yeah, so hopefully uh if you're following along, you'll have access and can uh, go check those out. If not, you'll have our, our expert reviews and uh, let us know as, as we go, if there's other things you'd like us to uh, go into, we're going to get into some different media and have some different themed episodes. And just uh, as you've seen, we, we cover a lot of ground uh, in the, in this project. It's our main focus is, is the great Dr. Doom, but we also talk about, uh, so, uh, there's also a lot of comic book trivia. There's a lot of history. There's uh, digressions into Lionel Richie and and uh, <laughs> Carlito's way and uh, anvils and quicksand. Who knows where we end up? <laughs> yes, I, we can only figure, uh, only guess on what we would talk about the next episode. <laughs> and who knows what will happen between now and then. Very true. <laughs> well, I think that's a good place to leave it. Until next time, we're Bill and Craig, your hosts. Yes, thank you all very much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Oh, love, Lester.